Uh, so, uh, to the fathers here, happy Father's Day. Um, and uh, for some of you, that might be a really positive thing. Uh, you're really thankful to God for a positive father. Perhaps you're older now and you think back to the times when you were a child, and that's a really positive thing. Uh, for some of us, perhaps that's a little bit different. Perhaps it's a negative uh, thing, um, and you don't like thinking about Father's Day because of the upbringing you had. Uh, but all of us have experience of fatherhood to some degree, and especially those of you here who have the privilege of being a father. Uh, I'm a father to uh, uh, an amazing, very energetic three-year-old boy called Oshan, um, and also a beautiful five-year-old girl called Caddy. Um, but all of us have fathers. Um, some of us, again, that's a good experience. Uh, some of us actually even thinking about that is a difficult and a painful experience. Now, I don't want to dig up perhaps unpleasant uh, me- emotions or memories right now, but it does make us ask, doesn't it? Well, okay, well, what's a good father? What's a good father? And in preparing this, I did a, okay, a quick Google search. What's a good father? And one of the first articles that came up, and uh, it said, qualities of a good dad. And I was like, that's the article I need. Um, and on that, it said, well, a good father is safe. I think we can agree on that. Strong, comforting, protecting, the hero, I'm not sure what that means, but the hero, a teacher, wise and knowledgeable. Now, I'm feeling a bit of a burden uh, with all of them, but what's a good father? I mean, I'm sure all good fathers have some of those qualities that I just mentioned. Maybe that's being safe, comforting, protecting. Maybe you're very glad to have a uh, wise and knowledgeable father. There was a Mark Twain quote, wasn't there, that said, um, uh, when I was 15 or 18, I couldn't bear to stand the old man. But now I'm older, I'm surprised how much the old man has, has learned in his old age. In a sense, I was a bit like me. I've uh, grown up, I don't, I don't, only now do I think I realise the wisdom and the knowledge that my dad had. Um, but... What is it actually that a father wants for their children? What is it a father wants for their children? Now, I'm sure every father wants their child uh, to be healthy, uh, to be safe. I'm sure every father wants their child to be happy. But I think that makes us ask, okay, well, what's our culture? What is our town? What is our age telling us about happiness? What does happiness mean? What's our culture telling us about happiness? Now, think about the thing that you're being told that will make you happy. What is TV telling you that will make you happy? Magazines, adverts especially. Get this and you'll be fulfilled. Social media. What's social media screaming at you and demanding you? Do this and you will be happy. If you get famous, you'll be happy. Or perhaps, if, especially in today's culture, if you affirm me, If you affirm my lifestyle and accept me for who I am, uh, then I'll be happy. That's what we're being told. But I've got a few quotes now from from famous people who, on the outside of it, look like they have everything. Josh Radner from um, a TV sitcom, How I Met Your Mother. I do want to disclose I've never seen that, but he's in that TV show. And after it became a hit, he said, I'd bought into the common notion that if I get over to here, if I get to this place then I'll be happy. But then the strangest thing happened. Once the show got more successful, I got more depressed. Russell Brands, a famous British comedian, he, he said, 
I thought it would be good to be rich and famous. I thought it would be good to be the opposite of what I am. I thought it would be good to have the stuff, to have the money. I thought it would be good to be invited to the parties. Well, I've been invited. I've been chatting in Swish private members clubs. It's super cool. Everyone's super good looking. But now I'm inside. I've seen the other side and it's not worth it. It doesn't feed your soul. And I still feel empty inside. Now, some of you might like the music of Eric Clapton. Now, he said, I've had everything a man could want. I was a millionaire. I had a beautiful woman in my life. I had the cars, the house, solid gold career and a future. Yet on a daily basis, I wanted to commit suicide. John Lennon of the Beatles, he said, we've made it. We've made it. There was nothing else to do. We had the money, the fame, but there wasn't any joy. I'm coming to an end in, in, in the quotes, but just to illustrate the point more, Cameron Diaz, um, actress, she said, if you're looking for fame to define you, you will never be happy. You'll always be searching for happiness. And finally, actor and comedian Jim Carrey, he said, I wish everyone could experience being rich and famous so they would see it's not the answer to anything. And so despite what culture is telling us about joy and happiness, fame and fortune, um, uh, fortune and affirmation, actually that doesn't seem to be the answer to happiness. And to sum all that up, finally a Christian, C.S. Lewis, who wrote the Narnia series, he said, human history is the long, terrible story of man trying to find something other than God which will make him happy. But we're never told that by the media or culture or society. Media's never telling us that joy, lasting happiness is found with God. And told what we're, instead, what we're told, escape from your life with this PlayStation. Mask the stench of your failure with this fragrance. Run from your debts with these gleaming new shoes. And so, if fathers if fathers do really want happiness for their children, what, what kind of life they want for their children, well, what we're going to look at now, okay, well, what, what do life do we want for our children? What, and pointedly, what life do we want for ourselves? What do we want for ourselves? Because I'm sure we all want similar things. We want connection, contentment, joy, happiness, but I don't know about you, has that ever felt like it's just a little bit out of reach? If I get this job... This guy, this, this girl, these shoes, uh, perhaps especially at the moment for some youngsters, if I pass this exam, if I get that grade, then I'll be okay. I'll be happy. If I, if I go on holiday, if I get more likes and followers on social media, but it always seems to be if, 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 if. What happens if happiness is never found? What happens when all those things that you have that seem to give that contentment what happens if they crumble and fall around us? What happens then? Where do we put our hope and our hope for happiness then? And so as we said, what makes a good father? And if you're a Christian here, if you're trusting Jesus this morning and you're a dad, I think there's no doubt that fathers love their children. But a Christian father is always trying to show there's a greater love found in Jesus. Uh, the way that 
Christian dads, okay, that Christian fathers are meant to parent their children. What I want to show Caddy and Oshan, what I want to show my children is that they don't need to be good enough to be loved and accepted by me. And I think that's what we see here in Luke 15. Here, Luke 15, there's this power of the prodigal son. We see the son here. That's what we read about um, in verses 11 to um, 24 there. And, and we see the son. He's leaving home. He's moving house. He's got all these dreams and expectations. If I get that house, if I get the money, if I get the friends and be famous, get this recognition. But what the son doesn't realise, he's lost. He's lost. And that might be where you're at this morning, actually. But as we mentioned, there's a lot of lost things in Luke 15. Um, there's the lost sheep to begin with. Then there's the, the lost coin. And then in my Bible anyway, it says the parable of the prodigal son. But I'm sure many of you know this story. And actually this story could be the prodigal of the two lost sons, the two sons. And many books recently have been written about, especially the actions and the attitudes of the older son, the part of the story we didn't read. Uh, Pastor in America, who's just passed away, uh, Timothy Keller, he wrote a book called The Prodigal God, which is good, and I recommend that. Um, but he mainly looks at the actions of, of the older son. Um, but we're looking at the younger son today, which is why I read up to verse 24. And it starts with this shocking, shocking request, particularly in that culture, a very shocking request. Verse 12, he says, doesn't he, uh, the two sons, the younger son said to his father, Father, give me my share of the property that is coming to me. So you ask for this inheritance from his father. And maybe we've got so used to this story that the shock of that has, um, or it doesn't shock us anymore. Um, and again, in our culture, in our ways of thinking, in our society, we want everything straight away. We have fast food, fast this, fast that. We want everything straight away. But here... This inheritance from the father obviously would have been given when the father dies. And so there, that younger son, to go to his father and ask for his inheritance, it's to say, isn't it, it's massive disrespect. It's, dis it's to say, look, dad, I wish you were dead. It's basically saying, I don't want you. I don't want your care. I don't want your love, your safety, your guidance. Just give me my things. Just give me the money. Just give the things that I want. And in this Middle Eastern culture that Jesus was speaking into, what do you think the response would have been with this younger son? I mean, imagine if that, if your dad, imagine if that was you, your child coming up to you and asking that. But you basically wished you were dead. He hated the relationship he had with you. And maybe what culturally would have happened with Jesus' day, this son perhaps would have been thrown out of the house and left for dead. And perhaps the people listening to Jesus, we're expecting, okay, that's what Jesus is going to say next, that the son's just cast out and left on his own. But actually what we see is that very next verse, isn't it? We see, um, it's the same verse, and he divided his property between them. He just divided his property between them. And what we see there is that the Greek word that he divided his property, the word there for property it's this word vios, um, which means life. It means life. He divided his life between them. Here, the father, he, he wouldn't have had this money lying around. He would have had to sell um, land. He would have had to sell, um, if he's got land, he's probably got grain. He probably had to sell grain. He would have had to sell um, many things in order to give 
this son the things he wanted. And society then, to lose part of your land, uh, to lose um, your income like that, would have been losing a, a major standing that you had in society. This younger son is asking his dad to tear his life apart for him. And shockingly, that's what the father just does for his son. And soon, this, this younger son, he makes his way out the house with his, his hope of a future, his, his hope for happiness with his one-third And the younger son just leaves. So look down verse 13 and 14. It says, not many days later, the younger son gathered together all he had and took a journey into a far country. And there he squandered his property in reckless living. And when he had spent everything, a severe severe famine arose in that country and he began to be in need. He's lost everything. He's spent everything. He's then quickly lost the uh, the friends and the, the popularity. And there we're told a famine hit the country. And sometimes famine in in the Bible is used as like an illustration to not be under God's rule, to not be under God's blessing. And there the son, he's by himself, not with the father, and he's in desperate situation. Verse 13, he squandered his wealth in wild living. For some people, squandering wealth in wild living, for that, for some people, it is living. That is life, isn't it? Wanting to, to, to spend the life in wild living. You're not living unless you spend it wildly. But as we looked at the beginning, money, the fame, the parties, the drink, the friends, the clothes, the shoes, the house, well, we can see here it didn't bring the hope, the joy, the happiness that you thought it was going to bring. And then once the money gone, once he spent everything, Verse 14, he began to be in need. Maybe you're like the younger son. You perhaps can look back at your life, but maybe you've got life ahead of you and you're looking for that, that money, that, that, that power, the promotion, and, and etc. But have you ever noticed with people that are chasing after that, they're chasing the job, they're chasing the money, have you ever noticed that the things that we end up choosing actually end up choosing us? We become slaves, slaves to those things. Become slave to the, the money, slave to the job. Uh, the son here, he thought he had money. What ended up happening actually was money had him. He thought he could have the fame, but in fact, the fame had him. He was slave. He was a slave to those things. Um, again, what about you? It's worth asking whether you're Christian or not. Do you have money or does money have you? Uh, is something actually you think you've got it but actually it's controlling you as mentioned earlier Jim Carrey he said didn't he I wish everyone could experience being rich and famous so they would see it's not the answer to anything and that's what we see here it wasn't the answer this this boy here this younger son he's now as empty as his bank bank account and he's desperate and he's depressed so desperate in fact he gets a job Feeding pigs. And we might think, well, there's nothing wrong with feeding pigs. There's nothing wrong with um, getting just a, a low job in order to, to, to get some money. But uh, feeding pigs, those listening to Jesus um, that, that were probably Jews. And they would have thought this job feeding pigs, well, pigs were unclean in their religion. Um, ceremonial unclean um, for the Jewish people. And so, in a sense, we see the sun there in its true colours. Unclean, in need, and without his dad's without his father. And perhaps 
you know and I know of people that have got themselves into this similar situation. In debt, the money gone, the happiness that it seemed to promise is no, nowhere in sight now. And the financial debt that they find themselves in, the low point they find themselves is, in is nothing compared to the spiritual sinful debt they are in front of God. And again, maybe that's you today. And this, this man, this boy here, verse 16, he longs to be filled with the food that the pigs ate. And we think, that's, that's horrible. I know our food later won't be like that. But we see here, this food, this pig's food, and we think that's horrible. He longed to be filled with something that wasn't going to satisfy him. And many people we know, again, they long to be filled with something we know is just not going to satisfy them. Again, maybe that's you. You're, you're looking for something and you know this, this ultimately won't satisfy. I'll wake up in the morning needing more. And this, this, this son, he's reaching out for something he knows not, it's not going to be nice. He's reaching out for this pig food. It says, doesn't it, no one gave him anything. Now imagine that, if we just said there, um, verse 16, he was long to be filled with the pods that the pigs ate and no one gave him anything. Imagine if Jesus' next words were, the end, the end, end of the story. I mean, that would be horrible, wouldn't it? Sadly, we know of some people where the story does end there. Uh, their life ends up, as it were, in the pigsty and it, as it were, ends there. Thankfully, this is not the end of this story. Jesus goes on, and we think, as we're reading this, we think there needs to be a turning point here. It can't end like this. And many people say, okay, well, it's here. Here's the turning point of the story. Here is, um, here in the pigsty, here is the crucial point. Here in the pigsty, he's hit rock bottom, and here from out, his, his life changes. Here's the turning point. Here he is hungry, here he is helpless, and this younger son, it doesn't end there, the younger son hatches a plan, doesn't he? He says to himself, it says verse 17, doesn't he? But when he came to himself, when he came to his senses, he said, how many of my father's hired servants have more than enough bread? But I perish here with hunger. I will arise and go to my father and say to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven and before you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me. As one, of you, as one of your hired servants. So as I said, it's common to hear at this point when he hatches this plan, he thinks, okay, my, 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 I perish here with hunger, let's, let's go and make a job application to my father. Let's, let's try and become one of his servants. And it's common to hear this point as the turning point of the story, there in the pigsty. If I can say, I'm not sure it is the turning point. Remember the stories before this one, as we mentioned. We need to keep this parable in mind as we think about, uh, we need to think about those parables in mind as we think about this lost son. For For me, it feels as though if the younger son were truly returning to the father, it would be just as likely as a lost sheep trotting back to its pen. And we live in Wales, we know that doesn't happen. They're on the road and everywhere instead. Or maybe as ridiculous as a lost coin finding its owner. And so when we read verse 17 there, it says, when he came to himself, when he came to his senses, well, it's himself that he's thinking about. It's himself he's thinking about. There's no change of heart in the pigsty. There's no repentance uh, turning around in the pigsty. It's just a pigsty plan. That's all we see. And if you look at verse 18, 
If you look at verse 18, that's actually a famous apology from the Old Testament. Many of Jesus' hearers would have, would have heard Jesus saying this and remembered it. Someone in Hebrew history, someone from the Old Testament, famously said, I've sinned against heaven and against you. And maybe you can think who that was. And maybe you're thinking now, well, it's one of the famous stories in the Old Testament. Who said, I've sinned against heaven, I've sinned against the Lord God, and I've sinned against you? It was Pharaoh, wasn't it? Pharaoh, when he was in deep trouble with plagues crashing down around him, he also came to himself, came to his senses, and said in Exodus chapter 10, 16, I've sinned against heaven and I've sinned against you. Of course, how did Pharaoh's plan, how did his repentance, how long did that last? A matter of hours? And so here, off in the far country, this younger son, by himself, in need, he makes this pigsty plan, some Pharaoh repentance. But it's not so he can go back to his father as a son, is it? He's not so he can be restored, be restored to his relationship as son. If you look down again, verse 19, I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. That's true. Make me like one of your servants. All the son does is make a job application. This sinner, this needy son, all he decides to do is become a slave. That's the only change that happens in the pigsty. And this type of repentance, this kind of change in people's lives, it turns sinners into sinful slaves. And this hope he had for happiness, it, okay, he's thinking, okay, it, life didn't work out the way I thought it did. Look who I am, I'm in the pigsty. Um, it, he's not thinking now of the money and the wealth and the riches or the fame because he's realised, okay, that hasn't worked out. That's failed me. Now he's thinking, okay, if those things didn't deliver happiness, well, maybe getting a job will work. Maybe that will work. Maybe that will deliver. Maybe that will make me happy. Well, maybe one of those things I mentioned about fame and fortune and money and things like that. When I mention that, maybe you're thinking, yeah, not my thing. I'm not into that. But maybe this one does now. The job. Your career. Maybe you're thinking that will bring that fulfilment or joy. Maybe it's what we, some of the younger ones here, maybe it's what you hope to do in the future. Going to university. Settling yourself up for that career. Or maybe we're at the other end of it and we're thinking, oh, retirement. That will bring me the joy. Then I can rest, eat, drink and be merry. Again, let's ask the question, do you have the job or does the job have you? Do you have the retirement or does the retirement have you? And so this son, and maybe you this morning, maybe thinking, oh, I, I can do life by myself. I'm doing okay. I can do life myself. But maybe as this church sings, what can wash away your sins? Not people, not possessions, not performance, not experience, not even theology. What can wash away your sins? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. And so maybe, um, not surprisingly, um, I cut my own hair. It's a, perhaps not a surprise. It's not difficult. It's hard to make a mistake when you haven't got any hair. But um, my niece, Theon, uh, I remember when she was younger, she, she perhaps saw me cutting my own, my own hair and she thought, oh, that, that looks fun. I can do it myself. I can do it all on my own. Um, got a pair of scissors from the kitchen and just went for it. And this beautiful, gorgeous 
little niece of mine then just looked really horrendous, thinking that she could do it herself. No chance, she looked silly. But often we think we can do it ourselves, but we just end up making a huge mess of things. And so don't adopt this same attitude as this younger son in your life. Don't do it. Putting your hope and the happiness in the things like this son did, if you're, putting, if you're following the way of this son here, the, the money or the job or whatever, you'll just, it'll be like leaving the pigsty and entering the slave quarters. That's the only change that happens. But amazingly, staggeringly, thankfully, all the time this is happening, this is not what the father wants for his son. The father wants something else. And so look down halfway verse, um, verse 20. And I think here's where we see the real turning point, the real change in the story. Verse 20. And he arose and came to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him, felt compassion and ran and embraced him. And the son said to his father, said to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven and before you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. The father said to his servants, bring quickly the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his hands and shoes on his feet. Bring the fattened calf and kill it. Let us eat and celebrate. For the son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and now he's found. And they began to celebrate. It's a wonderful picture and a wonderful story of this father's love, isn't it? And if we look about, think, think about it as well, it says he rose and went to his father and while he was still a long way off, his father saw him. You kind of got the picture that the father there standing outside the house, looking down the road, looking down the town, saying, where's my son? And then he sees him and he thinks, that's my son. That's my little boy returning. And actually what we see here, this father doing here, culturally speaking, is completely undignified. Fathers in that community, and he's clearly a father of high standing in that community, he would have not ran throughout the town and things like that, looking completely undignified. If you think about what they would have worn back then, he would have had to hitch up his clothing and run down the street to try and embrace his, his boy. And, and then we see this father clinging to his son, wishing never to let him go again, kissing him and embracing him. And the son, he finally... Finally, after all the, the cutches and the kissing and the hugging, he finally gets round to his I'm sorry speech, doesn't he? The, the speech that he's planned in the pigsty, he finally gets round to it. And he says, he says, doesn't he? He says, verse 21, Father, I've sinned against heaven and before you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. And that's true. But he doesn't go on with the rest of the speech, does he? The father cuts his speech short. Verse 21, I've sinned against heaven and against you. Um, I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. That's true. He's no longer worthy to be called your, his son. But he doesn't get to the job application bit, does he? He doesn't say, make me like one of your hired servants. Um, and he, he doesn't get to that bit of his, sorry, he doesn't get to that bit of his planned speech. He gets interrupted by his father. And that's it. This is the turning point. This is the crucial point. This is the major bit. Here is what brings the sinner home. Here is what brings you and I home. It's not the pigsty plan. It's not the Pharaoh sorry speech. It's not the job application. Here is what brings him home, the father. The father brings him home. 
Just as previously, you look at the other stories, it's the shepherd who finds the sheep, hoists the sheep on his shoulders and strides home. Just as the woman finds the coin and celebrates with her family and friends. And so while the son, still stinking of pigsty, he's brought home by the father. And we'll go on to see, don't we, verse 22 and 23. The father, he, he, the son still stinking of pigsty, still smelling of his old life, as it were. The father, he robes the boy. He says, bring quickly the best robe and put it on him. He robes the boy in the best robe, which would have been the father's robe. He puts a ring on his finger, which would have been a sign of authority, something that would mark him out from the rest of the hired servants, the the servants he put a job application in for. And he kills the fattened calf, which would have fed hundreds. And so this father at great expense and joyfully invites this rotten sinner right back into the heart of the family. And that is where true joy and happiness was found, in the father's embrace. The world, we know how the world works. The world knows how to turn sinners into slaves. It's only our father, because of Jesus on the cross, that can turn sinners into sons and daughters. Matthew Chapter 16, verse 26, says this well-known verse. And again, doesn't this look like the world? What will it profit a man if he gains the whole world but forfeits his soul? What will it gain? What will it profit a man? Well, the profit, in that sense, the simple answer is, well, he gains the world. He, he might gain the world in that sense. But compared to losing your soul, it's an unthinkable exchange. Jesus, I mean, we think, okay, if I gain the world, that would be okay, but... I mean, we never gain the world in that sense, but how, how much is the world? I mean, Jesus knows the world. He owns the world. How, how much is its value? He sets the price of your soul incomparably higher than the world's. He values your soul at the cost of his own life. That's what we see on the cross. That sinners who trust in Jesus are truly brought home. So again, this, this morning, let me ask you, what are you trusting in? What are you trusting in that will bring you life, fulfilment or happiness? What are you trusting in? And again, C.S. Lewis says, doesn't he, do not let your happiness depend on something you may lose. What are you depending on this morning? And I promise you, more, more than that, the Bible promises you, you will never find the joy or the happiness anywhere else apart from trusting in Jesus. And so here's what brings you home. It's not your pigsty plan. It's not the fame and the fortune. It's not people giving you affirmation. It's not the job prospects. Here is what brings you home. The father, and at great expense, the cost of Jesus' life. At the cross, we see what it takes to bring sinners home. At the cross, we see at great expense, Jesus bringing you ripe into the heart of the family. Romans chapter 5 verse 8. God shows his great love for us. God shows his great love for you. That while you are still sinners in the pigsty, Christ died for us. I mean, what would have happened to that younger son the next day? It's the next day the son wakes up. No doubt he would have woken up in the house and remembering his rough past. Remember living in the pigsty. No, no, no doubt he would have remembered the shameful living and the vile uncleanness, but his status has changed. He's not a slave, but he's a son. And the, he arises in the father's house. He arises in the father's robe and in the father's love. 
this son's sin was not stronger than his father's forgiveness. And so for you, maybe you're a Christian here and you sometimes do the same. You remember the past. You remember the things you're guilty of. The things that perhaps you're currently doing. Perhaps the shameful living. But remember, if you trust Christ, 2 Corinthians 5.17, for anyone who is in Christ, the new creation has come. The old has gone and the new is here. And so if you're trusting Jesus this morning, you're dressed in his robe and his righteousness, you're under the Father's love and rest there because that's where true joy and happiness is found. Uh, John Piper, I'm finishing now, but John Piper, a Bible teacher, he says, there's nothing fuller than full, there's nothing longer than forever, so you cannot offer me anything better than life with Jesus. Do you have that today? That there's more mercy in Christ than there's sin in us. And so if you're trusting Jesus this morning, nothing can separate you from the Father's love. And that is what joyfully brings us home, is the Father's love.